Football on Off The Ball With Sky Get all the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports Now you're very welcome back Happy to bring in Miguel Delaney of the London Independent Always a pleasure Miguel, you're very welcome Hi Joe I have one rule for this conversation You look at me when I'm talking to you <laughs> I mean that wasn't even the best moment of Sky <laughs> this weekend um, <laughs> I'm not sure how to describe um Soonest after I, I didn't get to see it in, in real time because I was uh, I was at the game. <laughs> I kind of laughing at it all morning. I have to say. Well, it was interesting. So Soonest is on Talksport now of a Monday, and this is um, their big new signing with Simon Jordan and Jim White. And this was brought up with him. The you know it's a man's game uh, line, which has drawn consternation from certain quarters. And he was given a chance, I suppose, to row back from it and he didn't really although it was not exchanged because Simon Jordan jumped in straight away to say the whole thing anyway was a preposterous um, controversy made out of nothing and, and soon as you suspect probably would tend to agree and so I, I don't know that that led to because I, I heard the exchange live and that led to headlines you know soon as doubles down or soon as you know I've no regrets over comment which actually uh, I, I don't think he actually um, strongly said one way or the other how he felt about the controversy but I wonder is this going to cause soon as bother or all much ado about nothing um, I mean given the context I think the words were obviously ill-advised um, I, I wouldn't say it's going to take, cause too much bother beyond that. Mm. I mean, I, the way I saw it, it was more of that. I mean, we, we all we all know Sunes's views on football and aggression. Um, I don't think he was making. I mean, personal opinion. I don't think he was making it as a kind of a goading point with Karen Carney beside him as the way some thought. I think he was just he was a bit taken away by loving the aggro he saw. Yeah, he was just so thrilled. You know, he couldn't contain himself. <laughs> Basically, I, I would think of all the talk over the last twenty four hours. This is surely just like, you know, the, the the one extreme of, you know, this is woke and this is crazy and like how he doesn't have a case to answer at all. And then on the other side, you've got he must be sacked, cancelled, destroyed, pitchforks it done. There's just a very simple uh, midpoint where I think most people yeah. understand he wasn't trying to cause offence. It certainly jarred <laughs> with Karen Carney next to him. And so the very kind of simple thing to do is, well, I might just use one of the many, 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 many other different phrases I can use for aggression. Yeah. And everybody quickly gets on with their lives. And, and like, it's such just a simple solution. Temper your language a bit in the future. A little that's bit, it. yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, on the Redknapp-Neville point then, so Brentford 4, Manchester United, kind of, well, extraordinary, if not totally surprising in some ways, what was uh, quite interesting about their exchange is that Redknapp was very much of the view that, like, this is Brentford have just beaten them 4 0. It's not Real Madrid or Man City or Liverpool. The players and the manager are massively accountable here. And Neville was saying it's macro picture, it's big picture, it's Glazer's mismanagement. I mean, the, the, the point that jumped out, I think, the most of us is it's both, quite clearly, and, and both should be talked about. Well, I, I mean, I do think this is a culmination of a decade, well, really longer, uh, but I suppose since this, uh, Alex Ferguson retired. A decade of issues at Manchester United that have all come together and kind of imploded in each other, but that does that that shouldn't absolve the t- the players or the manager either. I think there were big questions about some of what Ten Hag did at the weekend, not least the sudden use of Eriksson as a six, and he was kind of almost predictably swamped by the way Brentford play. Um, and all, all, I mean, <laughs> the realm <of> like. <laughs> The way that second goal, I mean, it was, it was one of the worst moments of Premier League football. I mean, for, for a player of the gayest stature, of that, of that team's stature, to be so hesitant about playing a ball out from the back as if this was 2006 <laughs> was remarkable. And you could see the way Brentford just sensed, we're in here. 
Um, it, like it, it was, it was incredible stuff. And and that, I mean, you could get into all sorts of wider points here. I suppose that you know the fact that this sort of approach is so new to this Manchester United squad is itself a consequence of repeated bad appointments. Um, because I mean, one of the lines that came out from Rangnick's time last year for all Rangnick's failures, but one of the one of the reasons for his struggles basically he found that. The team had basically never had any sort of the team as a squad together had never had any sort of grounding and ball oriented pressing, which is of course something that Brighton and Brentford do so well. And I, I, this isn't a new point either, but I mean Brighton and Brentford are almost kind of yes, they're they're much financially weaker than Manchester United, nowhere near the size the same size of club, but they everything they do is so maximised. They're such kind of modern clubs in that way, whereas United are the complete opposite, and that, it's that something that that comes becomes apparent in those games. I, I do wonder as well, I mean, this is a reservation I've had throughout with Ten Hag. I mean, it, it, it's something that's, like, again, come up in the last 24 hours. So very few managers that come from the Eredivisie, and specifically from Ajax, actually, because I think Ajax is such a specific club, or, or, or a specifically kind of structured club. They actually don't have that much success elsewhere. And even beyond that, it's such a leap now from the Dutch league to... The, uh, to the English league, let alone the big six. Like, it's not 1995 anymore, or even 2004. And, I mean, I was talking to someone about this yesterday, the way they put it, like, a lot, a lot of managers like that come to the Premier League thinking, oh, it, it can't be like that, it's all hype. And then suddenly they realise club, clubs of the size of, or sorry, clubs like Brentford or Brighton or those in the bottom half suddenly have these really high-quality players that are basically a level above the same players, at, or sorry, players at the same level of club in other leagues, which is inevitable because there's so much money in the Premier League. And it becomes a bit of a reality check. And I, I think these are why there are fair concerns about Ten Hag. And obviously, I'm not saying he should be sacked or anything like that now. But it is also a reality that suddenly, the, the jo- in the space of eight days, or whatever it is since, last, since before last Sunday's game against Brighton, a difficult job has now become an immense challenge. Uh, because it's not just... That's why Saturday felt so significant. I mean, I have to say, on reflection... And I, I, I actually don't think I captured this in my piece on the day as as well as I should have, but on reflection, that, that those minutes ten to thirty five were among the most astonishing sequences of Premier League football I've ever seen. It was incredible for the for the most successful team in the competition's history to be just rampaged past like Brighton in that way, and it went. It just felt really significant because it just it just makes this such a different. It immediately throws them into crisis. Hmm. It, it makes a difficult job into just such a hugely. A usually challenging one, and one that's extremely difficult to get out. Like to get out, like he's got so much to arrest now, and I think that's probably one of the biggest concerns of all. That there was obviously optimism when when Ten Hag came in, a hopeful new era, and all that. Not, no one expected two defeats like this, and it, it wasn't even that it started badly, but the fact that he couldn't arrest the slide the club man. It's actually got worse because I mean this four 0 it was worse than the four 0 to Brighton last season. It is really hard to know where to start with the issues he has to solve. Let's park the Glazers discussion for just a moment. That's not to diminish its importance, but we've had that conversation quite a lot and it's fairly apparent to everybody that the club has been run dreadfully for a decade plus and in the absence of Ferguson, it's going downhill very quickly. So park the Glazers issue for a moment. On the um, weaknesses that Ten Hag has to sort out, the spine of the team's in big trouble. You mentioned De Gea's pass for the second goal. What was so striking about that was it was painfully obvious that there was some voice in De Gea's head saying they've pressed us man for man here. Ericsson is marked. I probably shouldn't give it to him, but we've worked on this all week in training, so 
I'm just going to do it in the hope that the manager's plan somehow magically works here. And, and he did it. And for a player of his experience to not read the situation is really worrying. In De Gea, in De Gea's case, he doesn't look like a, a particularly good footballing goalkeeper. There's probably, you could, you could maybe muster up an argument that he hasn't been put in the position of being demanded to play this way very often. So he may quickly adapt, but it's late in the day for him to adapt. Yeah, well, well, I mean, this goes back to 2018, which probably caused De Gea's first big drop in performance level because his confidence eroded basically from suddenly being number one with the Spanish national team, but not being able to play in the way that Spain wanted, which is exactly that, a, a ball-playing goalkeeper. So remember, like in that 2018 World Cup, there were so many moments of panic in between Ramos and Piquet with De Gea behind them. Um, and then, I, like in relation to the past, I think that what was really instructive was actually a moment a few minutes later, which is when he was in the same situation, about to pass the ball over the back, you could feel the heave around the Brentford Stadium, willing this to happen. Yeah. The player's ready. And he had no option, basically, but to launch it up the pitch. And then, of course, that creates a kind of... I mean, there's almost, there's almost an educational issue here where you'll often hear in coaching, but I mean, this, this is true of young players, which I suppose is instructive of where Manchester United, Manchester United are at as well, where the argument is always, even if it goes wrong, persist with it. I mean, it was actually something that Pep Guardiola said to John Stones, uh, in his first season at City, when when Guardiola did have some difficulties that season as well, where he kept saying to him, "Be brave, even in this situation, even if your instinct is to is to lump it forward, try and play the pass because gradually you'll get better." But even that was at such a different level to what's happening at Manchester United now, where it just seems a it it it, it does seem just so basic in that level. I know. I mean, some of the thoughts that were going through my head as I was watching the game in terms of, kind of like what this reminded me of. One was Andre Villas-Boas tried to play a high line with a Chelsea back line that always wanted to play a low line from Mourinho's time. And like John Terry struggles with that. And then another was, and this is something that's come up a fair bit over the weekend, Frank De Boer, Crystal Palace, trying to get them to play a completely new way when I think at that point they would have been used to Pulis, I think it was, it was 2014. Mm. And it was just a disaster. Because um, on, on, on Sundays, in the mail on Sunday, Danny Murphy said, well, like as a starting point for Ten Hag, day has to go. It's incompatible. Yeah. It's just not going to work. But like that is a, like that's major upheaval. And we're only a goalkeeper here. I mean, as we walk through the problems, the Martinez problem now looms large or not large, as the case may be. Yeah, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they try Martinez in defence midfield soon, mm. which at least kind of arrests that a little bit, maybe. Um, but with as with as the gay, I mean... I actually think this is where you could criticise Ten Hag in that it feels like he's compromised on some big decisions because if you're going to play a certain level of football and he's obviously been dependent on certain signings and he hasn't got them in, that's fair enough. That's that's one where you'd absolve them. But evidently in some other areas, he, the goalkeeper being... I mean, look, what, what was the first thing Pep Guardiola did at Manchester City? Yeah. Got rid of Joe Hart because he couldn't play. It was it was immediate. And it does feel that Ten Hag might have compromised that. He also He's also potentially compromised on Ronaldo given, I think it's pretty well known, he was aggravated about the summer and how it went. Mm. Uh, and then Ronaldo gets back in and I mean, there's been all sorts of murmurs over the last 24 hours about Ronaldo's attitude within the squad. Um, well, we saw him completely blank, Ten Hag walking off the pitch. He said yeah. um, of De Gea as a last thought on De Gea, Ten Hag said, I've seen him do it in training. I've seen yeah, him play I mean, the kind of football I need. Now, it's potentially against the worst pressing attack in Europe that he's doing this in training. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the other side of it, and in preseason, and they're not exactly, and they're playing Liverpool kids in preseason or, or whoever. Um, and I mean, the, the one I was in that press conference, obviously, and there was I, I, 
I think it was one of those situations as well where like just after something like that, it was the last place Ten Hag wanted to be. Mm. He was almost just saying things to get it over with and naturally, to be fair, defending his players. But he's got some big decisions to make. And of course, who's up next? Liverpool. And then actually, it's, it's, it's an injury. Obviously, I mean, his, you would think in a situation like that against Liverpool, he should just basically totally compromise, dig in. Because if, if, you, if you try and play a system you're still learning and still at such an early level of education in that system yeah. against Liverpool, you get destroyed. But it feels like they'll put then. So I suppose most people would think like a beaten by Liverpool. Who knows? But if they do, then they've got Southampton. Now, in a weird way, even though they've got Arsenal and Leicester after that, two awkward fixtures, or maybe Leicester not what they what they were. In a weird way, though, Southampton's almost actually the most pressurised fixture a lot because it's a it's a hiding to nothing. If they win, they don't get any credit for it. If they drop points against Southampton, then we're really talking crisis. What is your understanding of the Ronaldo situation? Um, I get the impression that a lot of people in the club. I mean, I, I, wrote, I wrote it before the season started that Ten Hag, having, having been willing to work with Ronaldo initially, uh, did get irritated by pre-season because he had plans to use him as his focal point. He's been increasingly, um, I suppose, just, I mean, obviously he's seeing Ronaldo's behaviour and that at this point he would be ambivalent if Ronaldo left. But the club uh, as a whole do not want Ronaldo to go yet. Their stance is very much he is not for sale. And what is Ronaldo still very much agitating? Yeah, I mean, he wants to go. You can, you can see. Like, I mean, this yeah. is, he doesn't, he, he's going to be in this sort of situation at this point in his career. He wants to be scoring hero goals in the Champions League. Yeah. So in that instance, if Ten Hag has realised that this guy is bad news and bad news for me in particular, and yet the club want him to stay, like, so there's a degree that a, a stronger manager should come in there and just make some statements because they're at rock bottom. Now is the time to make them perversely. This, and yeah. you'll, you'll never have more power. Ten Hag will yeah. never have more power than this month. So this is the month if in his heart of hearts he feels you've got to get the Joe Hart treatment to Haya, Ronaldo, you're gone, etc. Then he has to do it. And actually he's fudging both and results are bad. So he's losing power almost by the week yeah. at this stage. What is your sense of him? You've been around him a little bit now in press conferences. Um, I would put it that you can see why Spurs didn't appoint him because they didn't think he was that charismatic. <laughs> I know that's very harsh, but... Um, he certainly like doesn't. I mean, I was at Chelsea yesterday, and just the way Tuchel and Conte are obviously kind of just command the room. Yeah. Now, again, my experiences of Ten Hag have been this uh, in this instance after a four 0 drubbing, one of the worst results Manchester United have suffered in their modern history. So it's a bit unfair to judge. And, and to be fair, on some of those decisions, the one thing I would say for Ten Hag as well is that some of it comes down to recruitment, and that he evidently doesn't feel he's got the players who can come in. So I mean, his his rationale as well was Ronaldo well. He probably still will get you 20 goals um, yeah. and they, because they, they, they can't play in the same way, especially with Martial having been out. But it, but it does just feel with, with his job at the moment, everywhere he turns, there's basically, it's basically an issue. Yeah. But on the Ronaldo point, I take the 20 goals. Uh, in, you know, it's, it's very appealing. But like, is Ten Hag not wedded to a certain high-pressing style? Like, is it not just obvious that Ronaldo can't fit into that? Yeah, but I suppose in the absence of, from my understanding, in the absence of players he has, uh, it's a it's a good temporary compromise. Have that focal point, given if you get. But it's not ideally how he'd play. But uh, for the moment, it's, I mean, it's it's why they've been basically one to forward. He's he's gone for Gakpo, PSV, previously Sesco at Leipzig, um, and and I mean again, this would be another area where I have real questions though. 
they're signing so, I mean and it comes back to the same thing with the manager they're signing so many of their targets have been from the Dutch league and again it's a huge step up I mean at, at this point given the gap I mean, really, players coming from the Dutch league, unless they're like, absolute sensations, United should almost be buying them off clubs like Southampton or Dortmund before then. And even the German league has, has become a, a little bit of an unknown in that sense as well. Mm. Um, but, of course, they have to resort to this because the recruitment's not up to scratch. It's not, it's not, a, it's not elite recruitment. Hence, Ten Hag, we, or we've had a situation where Ten Hag has to... Um, they've been leaning on his expertise. And, and, he, and this is a manager who's never managed yeah. outside Holland. This is his first job. Outside the Eredivisie. So it's not an overstatement to almost say that Ten Hag has gone in there, found that behind the scenes the recruitment structure is fairly abysmal. So there's a, a degree of like, well, have you any ideas? Who do you like? And they've well, gone he hasn't got, with his hunches. He hasn't got who he wanted. Um, so, yeah. And, this, and hence, we are in a situation last week where they're looking at Arnautovic and have to kind of so, had to almost embarrassingly roll back from that, hmm. given, given the extent of the fan backlash. And, and this is the other thing about Manchester United now, that they are in a situation... It's like Arsenal three or four years ago, but almost to a greater scale because of what United are, which is when, really, elite players don't want to go to them and they have to pay over the odds to get them. Now, Arteta got around that by basically taking the medium-term view, which was go young and build back again. But um, just because of everything around United, if it, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit like Barcelona in the sense that they can't have that patience mm. when arguably what they need more than ever now is almost to accept this is going to be a fallow period, really go down to basics and build up properly. But then this is another thing about Ten Hag. And this is like, it's, it's like they basically, they appointed a manager for a certain project without actually articulating or, or um, putting in place the idea of what that project is about. So they kind of have, they have a vague idea. They want some modern football, but none. Of, it's not like Liverpool or City where they know exactly what they want and they're they're fitting everything in into that idea. It's kind of well, they they it's it's almost kind of retrofitting everything. Yeah. And um, and this is that's not exactly the best way to run an elite modern football club. Given that you were at the game in person, you probably have a a real sense of Martinez and the size because like some of these issues are uh, completely not of Ten Hag's doing. I mean, he's inherited De Gea, for instance. He's inherited. The Ronaldo situation, but Martinez was uh, a target of his, and five foot nine, and seemed to be badly exposed. And it was interesting, even in the aftermath of the match, Gary Neville was making the observation that, depending on which side of the pitch throw-ins were on, that Maguire and Martinez were switching. And Neville was kind of recalling, you know, there were three, four years he'd been a very good centre half in his youth. Yeah. That at senior level they really tried to persevere initially with Neville as a centre half and. There were, you know, sometimes it'd be a run of six, seven, eight games. You'd get away with it. You'd think, oh, I've got this now. And then it'd be back to square zero very, very quickly. But it was funny. He, he recalled that switching of centre-halves for throw-ins on different sides of the pitch. He recalled, oh, yeah, I remember me and Pallister doing that. And it's just not good. And so, you know, this Martinez uh, situation is of Ten Hag's creation. Yeah. It's £60 million. Pounds. I, 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 and you could argue as well, actually, <laughs> the moment that, has, that could possibly shape Manchester United's entire season, or at least shapes this star that could yet influence the entire season was literally the very first seconds of that season because after all the kind of build up and all the talk about Martinez's size what was the very first thing that Brighton did it was basically launch the ball over his head mm. and, 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 and then from that they went for United and suddenly kind of and pressed him right and it, it, you could see it straight away that it caused this panic and even Ten Hag referenced after this game and I do genuinely believe this is an issue where it felt like suddenly be, be, because it didn't because it started off where they were immediately on the back foot all of the previous doubts 
or from the last few seasons, kind of caved in in the team again and immediately caused problems. With that stemming from the decision to put Martinez there and how how easy he was to target. And again, yeah, we're coming back to bigger issues here. As, as was put to me during the week, and I wrote the weekend. You know, it's a bit it's a bit insensitive to the language, but it's, I, mean, I suppose the sort of language that football people use. But it was described to me as that United are suffering from a form of football uh, PTSD mm. because. This team has had so many humiliations now in full glare of the media that some that they just that something broken in the squad, and you could see that in, against Brighton, and it continued on against Brentford. Two different cases here, but the term "broken" could apply to their current form. What's your sense of what's going on for some time now with Rashford, and then on the other side, Sancho just has made no impact either. Well, again, I mean, Sancho comes back to the same issue again. I mean, for for all his talents. He was in a situation in the Bundesliga in a perfectly structured Dortmund team that that was where he knew exactly. Like I mean, it, it was his role was so well defined that he knew when to make runs based on certain other players' runs, based on on, on triggers, as they would say. Mm. So it was all. I mean, basically, he had suppose he had to think about his role much less. And that in a much more forgiving league where Dortmund themselves are far wealthier and far more powerful than everyone except one club. Then he comes into a situation at United where, again, just the competitiveness of the Premier League is higher. The opposition is a better standard. The shape he's in is much worse. And he's still quite a young player. And he's basically just struggled from that. And never there's only been flashes. Rangnick felt he was one of the, the players who better responded to, to Rangnick's approach. Um, right. But it, it feels like he's still... Um, He's still adapting when a United basically need a player like him who they spend so much money on to have impact, immediate impact. Yeah, it's hard to think of anything he's done. You know, like if his it's, highlight it's, reel it's, from memory is almost uh, zero. And the Rashford situation, like that continues as well. I mean, that, that goes back two years. Because yeah. remember, I, I wrote two years ago, Tuchel had a, had a phone call with Rashford explaining to him exactly how he'd, how he'd use him. And I think that's actually quite relevant to Rashford's current form in the sense that... Um, Rashford feels like a player who basically at a key development age of his career because he broke through so young and then was kind of just continued being used in various roles. He was never honed in an actual position. He became, and, and oh, I mean, look at the managers he was with. M- Mourinho, who as great as he once was, was never really famous or ever really, he, the, the attackers used to criticize his, his coaching of forwards, mm. especially in the modern game, what people like Guardiola and Klopp do. And then Solskjaer, who basically just was, I mean, to, to a certain degree, coaching on kind of emo- emotion. Uh, like he, so basically, at, at, formative, at the key formative age of Rashford's career, he didn't get any elite coaching. And so hence, he's in his mid-20s now. And there's, there are these big questions over what, what he actually is as a player. Yeah. So uh, I final thought, Ten Hag, it seems, brought the players in yesterday for an extra session. Yeah, I mean, a, a classic and made them run the difference they... That had been outstripped by by Bright or by Brentford, um, classic. I mean, classic laying down of the law, I suppose. Mm. But this is it. I mean, because now he's under pressure to show a response of his own to show this isn't acceptable. Mm. I presume there's no chance of tons of empty seats against Liverpool. I, I mean, I have to say, given what happened last season, I've been thinking: could could we see a situation where where they where they tried the same sort of thing and tried to get the game called off, blocked? The, I mean, obviously the security will be improved given what happened in April 2021. But we're, we're going to see something because the agitation at, uh, around the fan base is justifiably so strong now. I mean, and again, I suppose it comes back to it, and it's, it's almost a point that's not really been made enough, I think. Whatever about even how the Glazers are run, the very fact that takeover was initially allowed 
was one of the most reckless pieces of sporting regulation in English football history. It was just, it was it remains incredible that a club that was run in the way United were that were self sufficient the way they were could just be could be bought with a leverage buyout like that. Now I, again. It points to basically the lack of protection for social institutions in football. Mm. Miguel, we are just about out of time. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And we'll, we'll chat over the course of the next week or so. Thank you. Cheers. Good luck, Joe. Cheers. Miguel Delaney there of the London Independent. And our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. We have Pat Nevin on the way after nine o'clock. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports